Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Spartan Spotlight. I'm Justin Thin. I'm here with my co-host Corey Robinson. We're we're back after a few few days, few weeks. The off season going well for Michigan State. We're gonna check in on some of those things and kind of just recap recent events. How are you doing today, Corey? Good. Definitely uh, ready to get rolling again. Uh, I know we've been away for a while with the holidays and traveling around and all that stuff so it'll be good to get something out new yeah. for you guys yeah so since since our last episode uh which was uh the signing day episode we uh have covered um portal activity uh nothing much um which we'll get to later on as to why things have slowed down uh we have covered the peach Bowl victory some coaching changes uh, a high school commitment that just happened today so We'll hit we'll hit on uh, those things here in this episode. So I guess first, just because it's uh, what has happened most recently, is earlier today. Finally, the news that we've known for a while: uh, Jeremy Bernard has committed to Michigan State. He has not only committed, but he has moved in with Kaiten Hauser, who he has known since he was 11 years old. Played uh, high school football with him as well at Liberty High School before Kaiten transferred to St. John Bosco. Um, got out of his Washington letter of intent, committed to Michigan State shortly after. So I guess first off, I, I can run through the timeline and kind of just like the story there of what happened, but let's talk about him as a player first. So Corey, what do you see when you look at Jeremy Bernard's tape and what do you think he'll bring to Michigan State? Uh, he's a bigger receiver, 6'2", 195. He looks maybe a little bigger than his listed weight. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's around 205 already. Uh, he's a big body kind of receiver, but what separates him from a lot of the receivers his size is his uh, speed and ability to make plays after the catch with the ball. So uh, for me, that was one of the bigger uh, pickups in the class. I, I think 24-7 sports has him as the third highest ranked player in the class. And uh, I could definitely see him in line with that type of thing and I think his uh his upside is really high uh, he's the guy that you kind of look at as a what a lot of NFL wide receivers look like where you get the six two six three long arms uh does a good job catching the ball away from his body with his hands which is something that I look for uh is because the guys that, that use their body to trap the ball are the ones that generally have more drop issues than others so uh, I think for that that's huge when we had heard that it was possible way back before he signed when Michigan State first got involved uh kind of looking at his tape I'm like oh that's kind of a pipe dream guy just because a lot of things had to go right mainly uh Junior Adams the wide receiver coach there stepping away so uh but yeah I think it's just one of those huge ones that you get in the 13th hour really because I mean he was literally signed at Washington uh that's going to pay huge dividends I think he'll play uh and make a major contribution this fall especially being an early enrollee who's already on campus now yeah no doubt so this is a recruitment that like you alluded to Michigan State kind of started to build a relationship uh, with Jeremy uh, before um, I would say around Thanksgiving, um, I guess maybe fans can look up when that offer was added to his, actually, no, you can't because that offer was not publicly announced, but 
I want to say um, the last week in November is kind of when uh, the Jimmy Lake rumors and the firing started to make itself prevalent. And at that point, Michigan State did a quick evaluation on Jeremy just because they had the connection through Kayton Hauser. And they kind of identified him as being a guy where if Jimmy Lake were to get fired, they were going to kind of pounce there and, and get a foot in the door. So a couple of days later, Jimmy Lake did get fired. Then Michigan State started to make some calls. Jay Johnson uh, was key here. Uh, Courtney Hawkins obviously was key. I believe Mel Tucker was even in some of these phone calls. Uh, Kate Hauser gets a lot of credit here because he was one that was generating the Michigan State buzz in Jeremy's ear uh, the whole time. So they built a solid uh, foundation back then in late November, early December. And then uh, basically the, um, the decision that Jeremy had come to at that time, which he told Michigan State, was uh, Junior Adams, his uh, wide receivers coach at Washington, who has been recruiting him since Jeremy was in ninth grade. Um, he said that as long as uh, Coach, um, coach uh, Adams is retained by Coach DeVore, who took over Washington, that he will be signing with Washington. And Coach DeVore kept uh, Adams and uh, Bernard signed. So uh, everything seemed like it was a done deal there. Uh, I, you and I even stopped following it after signing day because once the coach was retained, that was the end of that. And then suddenly Oregon decides to uh, go after Junior Adams and they land him. And uh, Bernard made it no secret that he was only going to Washington because of Junior Adams. He even told 24-7 Sports this a week before signing day. And he said, nothing changes in my commitment to Washington because Coach Adams is still there. As long as he is still there, I don't see that changing and I don't see him going anywhere. So that changed. And as Bernard had always said, as he was open and honest about, so did his recruitment. So he, uh, I guess here's kind of where some of the detail I can sprinkle in here that people may not know is uh, Jeremy uh, packed up his car. Him and his parents uh, got in a car from Henderson, Nevada. They uh, drove all the way up to the University of Washington. Uh, this, I want to say, was a day or two before Kaitlin Hauser's cryptic tweet. And uh, basically, they got to Washington. And by then, it, it was already kind of starting to be posted on Twitter and message boards that Oregon was thinking about going after Junior Adams, but nothing was for sure by then. So Bernard and his family arrive in Washington, uh, ready to maybe move in, or I don't know if they're going to make a second trip to move in, because I think that was midweek. But either way, they're, they, they drive all the way up to Washington, and they get out of the car, and they ask, uh, where's Coach Adams? And they are told once they arrived there, after they arrived there, that he will be leaving to take the job at Oregon, despite that kind of being known internally at the University of Washington for at least that full day, if not more. But at least that morning before they got in the car to go to Washington, that was known by the guys at Washington. Uh, Jeremy, um, and I'm guessing his family, did not take uh, too kindly to that. Uh, didn't, didn't do anything uh, unprofessional or anything uh, along those lines, but that's just not something that they appreciated. So Jeremy uh, immediately uh, left the University of Washington, said he would not be enrolling there. And uh, th that's around the time that there were reports from the Washington 24-7 site that 
Um, Jeremy Bernard has arrived on campus. Everything is good to go. He's going to be here until spring. And if he doesn't like it, he'll transfer then. So he did arrive at the University of Washington. That was not inaccurate. But the assumption that everything was fine just because he arrived was not the whole story as he quickly departed. So after that, uh, Oregon made a push, USC made a push, and Michigan State made a push after the uh, Washington thing fell through. And out of those three schools, um, Michigan State is obviously the school that won out. And you can, um, you can give credit to the coaching staff once again, but uh, a lot of what was done here in the last couple of days was Kate Hauser moving, moving things along. But like, like we talked about earlier, just the coaches getting involved back in November, that there was the key. Getting their foot in the door and building that early relationship was very crucial here. And uh, then, yes, again, they did reconnect after he got out of his letter of intent this past week and things uh, moved along quickly. I want to say Bernard had uh, his commitment edit made in the middle of this past week. Uh, And then uh, he announced, obviously, today, but he arrived in East Lansing a day or two ago. Him and Hauser have moved in. So that is the chronological timeline of how we have arrived here. Corey, I don't know if you have anything to add there, um, but. I'm with you, uh, Kate, and obviously gets uh, the number one uh, credit, the one, number one star of it for doing it. But uh, you definitely got to give Michigan State's coaches a lot of credit because, like you mentioned, uh, and they don't do this often, so that tells you the type of player they think Jeremy is. Uh, when you had Mel Tucker, Jay Johnson, mm-hmm. Courtney Hawkins, of course, uh, Chris Spilovich, uh, I mean, the whole offensive staff jumped in and uh, made him a priority way back in November, like we talked about, and kind of just stayed there and said, hey, we know what the deal is, but if something changes, we're here. So uh, the coaches definitely deserve some credit for it, too. But obviously, uh, having Kate and Hauser in your, uh, your back pocket <laughs> made it a whole lot easier for them. Yeah, it's just... You, you go back and give them retroactive credit for landing Kate and Hauser to begin with, I guess. Uh, even, even if, uh, even if a lot of work that was done here was by Hauser, you, you still get credit for landing Hauser to begin with. So uh, yeah, shout out to the coaching staff for just the, the whole big picture here. Uh, yeah. That, that basically is all there is to know about Jeremy Bernard there. Uh, the next, the next piece of news that we wanted to get to was so Michigan state landed four guys in the portal quickly early on. Uh, they landed uh, Jalen Berger, Jacoby Winman, Aaron Brule, and uh, Chris Bogle. So things were moving quickly there. Landed quite a few guys early, and then things slowed down for a week or so. Uh, that was thought to be mostly just because they were getting intensive into bowl prep. The coaches weren't sitting around recruiting as much. But uh, bowl, bowl prep came and went. The game was won. Still, you haven't seen a lot of movement recently. And we were kind of just wondering like what the timeline there was looking like. Maybe if we would see more guys visiting Michigan state here in January, once the dead period was lifted. But at the end of the day, uh, Corey, you, you made some calls with people that would know about these things, uh, just kind of the rules of how these things work. So I'll just turn it over to you and kind of let you share your discoveries here as to the situation that is kind of sitting in front of Michigan state in terms of their five available spots. Yeah, so as you mentioned, there's the four uh, transfer portal guys that signed already. But on top of that, when you look at the mid-year 
early enrollees. There was nine high schoolers now, including Jeremy. Uh, so that put the numbers to 13. And uh, while Michigan State has room for five more uh, additions in the transfer portal, they don't have the room to sign them right now just because they had uh, certain kids. Some of them have went on and found new schools and they're going to start there this week or whenever their school starts. But some of the kids that have entered the transfer portal haven't found homes yet. So, and Michigan State's obviously going to let them finish up through spring to get their, uh, or May or whatever, to get their uh, year of school schooling done. So Michigan State has those five spots. I believe they could potentially add maybe one more before uh, in the next couple of days if they found the right fit. I don't know if that's going to happen. But otherwise, you're going to see the five guys most likely come in in May. So Michigan State will definitely be looking, and they're active in it. Uh, they're going to probably be hiding a lot of the guys just because until you get the guys on campus and signed, you can't really uh, lock them in. So you want to kind of keep keep their names low. So uh, unfortunately, I don't think you guys are going to hear a lot of names from us. I mean, there's always going to be certain guys that put their recruitments out there, but most for the most part, most transfer portal guys, they've done that. They've done through high school. So they're not really looking for the publicity. So, and Michigan State coaches obviously don't want it because they can't lock the guys in until they sign anyways. So that's kind of the the deal what I found digging in a little deeper because we were kind of there with you. Like, all right, we have these five more. What are we waiting on to not go get this guy? But that's the deal is that you can only bring in so many based off of who's still in school, how do the guys that are yeah, transferring assen- out. So yeah, essentially, so, yeah, that, that's it. Yeah. So essentially they still have to um, kind of think about the 85 man scholarship limit is, is what that sounds like to me is yes, they won't have a lot of those guys on the roster by the time the season starts. So yes, they do have those five spots for sure. But the issue is they're still taking up spots on the 85 man scholarship limit and therefore until they leave until they enroll elsewhere they're they're pushing up against the 85 man limit and once those kids start filing out even though they've already entered the transfer portal that's when those spots will free up and they can add those five correct yes and then uh with school uh it starts monday i believe if i recall correctly yeah Uh, so even there there's some uncertainty of who's gonna be there honestly of the the guys that transferred, but of what they knew, this is what they can do. Uh, now, if you show up Monday and all of a sudden you got an extra three guys that you thought were going to stay through or all of a sudden gone, then, then that changes things quickly. But at that point, it would be a case of did Michigan State have some guys sitting back in the, the, the wings waiting, which I doubt they do. So Yeah, and then the other thing to consider is like, uh, Jared Horst is now back, obviously, but like that wasn't known until very recently, like even for the coaching staff. So like there's a lot of moving parts here in terms of who's coming back, who's leaving. And uh, honestly, at this point, I, I, I just keep forgetting like what the status is for a lot of these guys, but like the Matt Carricks and Blake Buters of the world, like a lot of these guys have been here for a while and some of them might take a second to decide or 
I don't know, maybe I might be speaking out of line of those guys are already 100% locked in, but you guys kind of get the idea. Yeah, those guys, I think, are both that. Yeah. Uh, Barn any setbacks. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you get the but, big picture but, yeah. of things are fluid right now. They don't even know they're, who's back for sure yet in some cases. So it just adds to the layer of uncertainty right now, even beyond the, the limits. Yeah, that's it. That's definitely a good way of putting it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I guess, yeah, like you were saying, uh, names probably won't emerge right about now just because anyone they land won't be able to sign. So basically, Michigan State would be advertising, hey, everyone, here's a kid that we think is a good fit. We have a good record in the – we have a good track record in the portal – um, and he, here's a guy who we're like showing to the world as somebody we see as a fit. And usually that's basically what high school recruiting is like too, but the talent pool is not nearly as restrictive and you're not fighting for a lot of the same guys. A lot of these schools, if they lose somebody to another school, they have three or four other options that they can turn to instead of wasting time in that spot. So the dynamic is a little different in high school recruiting, but in the transfer portal, especially when you have created the precedent of being one of the best, like evaluative schools in the portal, then it's pretty risky and and just not advantageous at all to be just putting out who you think is a good fit to join your program and then have to hold on to them and try extra hard uh, these next few months to keep them. So yeah, probably won't see a lot of names coming out there, but at the same time, a lot of guys that are already in the transfer portal um, could be candidates to enroll down the line. So it's not like, oh, everybody that Michigan State uh, can get there are people that aren't in the portal yet. So that means it's only people that enter in the end of the portal in the spring that could join Michigan state. No, there's some guys that are already in the portal that uh, do not plan to go to their next school until the spring, mm-hmm. but they're already in the portal. So some names, obviously it's going to be hard for us to identify and say, yes, this is a spring guy. This is a summer guy and things of that nature, but just wanted to put out there. It's not necessarily true that they can't land anyone that's already in the portal. It just depends what that kid's intentions are of when they want to enroll. Correct. Yep. So that essentially um, puts a bow on the transfer uh, insight that we just wanted to pass along to you guys. And um, I guess the only other piece of news here in recent weeks was the, um, I guess you can't even call it the, the <laughs> hiring, but uh, the, the, uh, the I worst guess, cut <laughs> the, the the trending uh move uh of of Ephraim Reed being in line to be the next running backs coach at Michigan State. Um but as you guys have seen on Twitter, he's been tagged on the offer tweets and uh and of course you've been all over this and you know the the updates there and it's uh essentially uh, a done deal as you've told me. So uh good enough for us to talk about it at least. But I'll I'll turn it over to you immediate thoughts on Ephraim Reed as the next running back coach at Michigan State. Yeah, he's a good one for me. 29 years old from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, so he's got a lot of connections down in that uh, southeast area and then over to Texas even. Uh, he worked under William Piegler, as most people know. He was kind of his assistant, even though his uh, title was offensive analyst. Uh, his his job was kind of, or one of his main duties was to assist with uh, William Piegler as the running back's coach. Uh, he played running back for Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns, uh, 
his offensive coordinator while he was there was Michigan State offensive coordinator uh, Jay Johnson back at that time. And then if a lot of people probably noticed, I know some people on our boards even mentioned it, when they would, uh, the cameras and on game days would go up into the booth, they would show Jay Johnson and Ephraim Reed was the the guy, the coach that was always right on the right-hand side closest to him. So that tells you how much trust that Jay Johnson has on him and how much he knows what Jay Johnson is trying to do. So usually the guy that you have closest to you is that one that you're kind of bouncing ideas off of, okay, this look is happening here. Let's try this. So uh, as far as the X's and O's part of it, I think he's going to come in and be ready to go and have a really firm understanding for what Jay Johnson is trying to do as a whole with the offense and at the running back position. Um, with the recruiting, I think it helps out a lot uh, having a guy that played the Division One football and at the position. Uh, he'd be able to relate really well with a lot of the guys he's recruiting just because he's close to their age. Um, you've yeah. seen an offer go out to uh, a 2023 in Baton Rouge already. Yep. Caleb Jackson. One uh, in Pennsylvania, Scranton, Pennsylvania. Yep. London uh, Montgomery. Home of Michael Scott. And then, <laughs> uh, um, I, I don't know, they have football there. Apparently they do. <laughs> you, you know the Pennsylvania area better than me. Yep, and then yep. even uh, the 2022, a guy that they really want, Trevante Citizen, is also from Louisiana. And uh, getting a guy that's from Louisiana played running back to kind of hop in with the work that Mel Tucker, Saeed Khalif uh, did, uh, and just jump in and kind of try to get that ball rolling. I think that would be a huge impact. Yeah, the words that kind of stick out to me just when I think about this hiring is, like you said, relatability um, for sure, because – uh, he's he was a recruit here in the last 12 years and he's a young guy he's a guy that played the position and that leads to just having a better relatability with the kids that you're recruiting so a guy like Trevante Citizen or Caleb Jackson he can go over there and sit in their living rooms and tell them hey I was from Baton Rouge 12 years ago coming into high school or coming into college weighing my options same place as you, same footing as what my career decisions needed to be. And he can relate to these guys. And I know Coach Piegler talked, uh, talked about this quite a bit is um, he, he, never, he didn't play running back. So he was kind of not feeling like he was uh, being, he was able to relate to some of these kids he was recruiting to as high of a degree. So um, he, he did his best uh, despite not being able to lean on that and did a great job here. But now you're going to be able to see the um, advantages that come with being able to relate very closely with some of these kids. So I'm really excited to see the dividends that are going to pay off from this hire. And I'm a big fan of the hire. I know a lot of these uh, running backs coaches, you look around uh, the nation, you look around at um, Juwan Sater at Penn State. It's a lot of these young guys that played uh, running back, not necessarily superstars, even though you do see guys like DeMarco Murray coming back and having a lot of success as well. But the running back coach position these days is a young, energetic recruiter that played the position and is able to relate to kids. And that is the trend. And I'm glad that Michigan State is starting to follow that trend. And I'm uh, excited with this hire. I know uh, the two running backs you named, uh, I 
have an article coming out uh, with both of them here in the next two days. I think Caleb Jackson I'll be releasing tomorrow and uh, London Montgomery will be the next day, but just kind of talking to these guys, you just kind of immediately see the impact that the hiring will have. For example, Caleb Jackson uh, pulling up the DM here. He said it was a great convo with coach Reed talking to him was great because he's someone from Baton Rouge and it felt great to get an offer from someone that knows what I'm feeling right now. I think Michigan State's a great program that's hungry and looking for more. And Kenneth Walker having a great career there makes me feel like it could be a great spot for me. So the themes there, Kenneth Walker and a coach I can relate to. So running back recruiting uh, should be strong here. Um, I guess that about does it there. Corey, anything you want to add either about Ephraim Reed or just anything else you want to mention in the podcast before we wrap it up? Uh, and the last thing to close it out, I guess, on Ephraim is uh, I, I bumped into him one time on campus and he is a seemed like a really high energy, uh, exciting guy. So I think that also just his natural personality is going to lend well to recruiting where not everybody is, right. has that. So uh, I thought that was a, a big knock for Travars Tillman was he was kind of yeah. – uh, laid back and chill and I think at running back wide receiver and uh uh defensive back I think that's where I mean you gotta have that energy that swag factor type of thing where like you want you know those guys to to almost be like the kids you know where they're just like going crazy they have a, a lot of personality and I think uh that's something that as he gets more around the media and stuff and people see Ephraim talk, I think you're going to see that he's got some of that juice and that energy yeah. that you want. Yeah. And then uh, I was just going to share a tidbit because that reminded me is one time I was talking to someone at uh, one of those summer camps that are held on campus and I uh, didn't see coach Reed there, but I did see um, just other guys there that, that work in the building. And uh, one of those guys said to me that Ephraim was one of the smartest people working in the football building and uh, that was later evidenced by, as you pointed out, he was Jay Johnson's right hand man up, right hand man up in the booth. Uh, and the, like you said, that's that's a guy who obviously Coach Johnson has a lot of uh, respect for, and, and somebody he leans on for decisions. So uh, that that's kind of the feedback that that you get if you ask around on Reed. He's he's just a brilliant guy that knows the game. And uh, if you couple that with the high energy that you described. This is a this is a hire that uh, could could pay off uh, a lot, and I know the the last internal promotion with uh, Coach Tillman wasn't the most um, inspiring decision uh, after it ended up um, ended up playing out. But I don't think that that should be um, seen as the norm because a lot of internal hires, a lot of these guys, the coaches know who they are. The head coaches when they promote them they have basically been on a job interview the, the year or two that they've been working as analysts here. So Tucker, he knows Reed. He's worked closely with Reed for two years. And uh, at that point, you've got to trust them and you got to say, hey, if Coach Tucker was evaluating Reed for these last two years and he felt that he needed to promote him to replace Piegler the minute that Piegler left, that means that means a lot. So Yeah, because, I mean, especially when you look at the defensive end, defensive line hire type yeah, of thing where that's like been drug out and yeah. there hasn't been a name and you pretty much immediately I think what was it maybe a day or two 
after Pegler's news got out that yep. he was going to Florida, I think we already had known uh, that it was yeah. going to be Ephraim. So, I mean, actually, that shows we, you. <laughs> actually, we knew the hour after he left that it was going to be an internal promotion. And then, yes, it it yeah. took it took a while, obviously, just to confirm that it was Reed. But we, we basically mm-hmm. we could put two and two together. But yeah. that that timing even tells you more certainly that hey, they didn't even sleep on it. They knew that same day that that Piegler started to trend away that uh, that it was going to be Ephraim Reed. So good point. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and then I mean, you look at it too, like how you said, like the defensive end thing. Like they went coast to coast, and I think. Maybe we'll see something there soon, but we're not gonna. We'll, we'll save that for another show for you guys. But uh, but they just a different thing, and uh, adding to how you had mentioned, like Mel Tucker seeing him for two years in a job interview. Uh, there's probably not anybody in football that knows Ephraim Reed as a person, as a player, better than Jay Johnson. Yeah, uh, and obviously, I think Mel Tucker trusts. Jay Johnson with anything pretty yeah. much I think yeah. like that's a guy that he knows they're on the same page uh they have a, a long history together and that's his guy so if he has Jay saying hey this is this is that on top of what he already knew then uh I think that's explains why it was pretty much a done deal the second that uh Piegler William Piegler told them that he was going to Florida it was pretty much they went right to Ephraim and it was done yeah no doubt yep but uh that that basically wraps it up for this episode uh we're gonna have an episode in the next i don't know how long i don't want to promise the timeline but uh we're gonna be having uh curtis daniel jay green you guys uh if you listen to the spartan beat in the past you guys have uh seen us talk to those guys but we're gonna get those guys back on and just have a discussion on how the alums are feeling about this past season just the energy they're seeing um and those guys they're they're not just alums they're deeply uh inside the program so those are always uh some good perspectives to have um so that'll be one of the episodes here in the coming month or so we'll have another episode uh uh, maybe with uh jack ebling so we'll kind of see those those are two things that we have here in uh, the near future so thanks for checking this out Look out for those two episodes. Not sure which order they're going to come out in, but uh, appreciate you guys for listening. And uh, until next time.